This is Leaving Laodicea, the online podcast of Steve McCraney. I'm glad you're here. Stay tuned, because we've got some exciting things in store for you. Hang tight. You can't handle the truth. Baptism. Be real honest with you, baptism has kind of fallen out of favor in uh, the church today. As a matter of fact, I read a lot of uh, reports on the internet of people that have evangelistic kind of meetings. Hey, we had 173 people give their life to Christ and 14 followed him in believer's baptism. And that's, that's a problem. There's an issue there because uh, uh, it's one thing to make a proclamation. It's another thing not to be not to be obedient to what the Lord wants us to do. There's incredible amount of confusion when it comes to baptism. Is baptism a requirement for salvation? Do babies get baptized? Do you get baptized just once, or is baptized kind of a rededication thing? Does, uh, is baptism only by immersion, or can you sprinkle someone or squirt them with a water bottle? I mean, how does it work? And you have churches and factions and denominations that all kind of crystallize around these topics. And since they're so controversial... And since there's such a wide diversity of opinions on that, what most Christians in the West do is they kind of just relegate it to something that's rather archaic, something that's, that doesn't apply much anymore. Yes, I've come to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, we'll baptize you at some point in the future. Uh, on our fifth Wednesday of the month on our baptismal service or whenever we can or something of that nature, and and it's... It's not to be that way at all. As a matter of fact, it's a grave mistake because baptism has baptism is one of the two ordinances the Lord left us in the church age, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And we already know the gravity of the Lord's Supper. I think you'll be surprised at the gravity of baptism. Many in the church who call themselves Christians have not been baptized according to the New Testament model. They, they simply haven't. Maybe they were baptized at vacation Bible school, and then they came to faith in Christ when they were 18 or 20 or 25 years old, but that baptism seemed to suffice, and so they're okay with that. Or maybe they went to some church that practiced infant baptism or christening or something of that nature, or maybe every time an evangelist come, you came down and rededicated your life and went and got baptized. But, but there is a New Testament model. There is a way that baptism is supposed to be laid out, and we're going to spend some time today kind of looking at that. And uh, quite honestly, some of you here either maybe haven't been baptized or have not been baptized biblically. Now listen, baptism is the first command for a Christian, the first thing a Christian is supposed to do. And what happens is if we're unfaithful with this first command to obedience, then it's very easy to be unfaithful in all his other commands, does it not? Because we're almost starting our Christian life off in disobedience. And so the question is asked, why aren't people baptized today? Or why do we kind of downplay it? Or why is it not this special kind of fervency about baptism? And I want to lay out for you basically five reasons. And the first one is ignorance. People either have not been properly taught what baptism is, or they've been taught something that's wrong. 
uh, I, I take responsibility for this because I have not spent, I, I've spent an incredible amount of time teaching every time we do this what the Lord's Supper is all about. Would you agree? But with baptism, I haven't. It's just something that we do because there's an assumption that we all kind of know. But, but the more I've talked with people over the last, really the last year, more I've seen things on the internet, I realize that there's a, there's a lot of confusion about baptism. Let me just give you a, an example. The Quakers, the Friends Church, the Salvation Army, and Heisberg Dispensationalists believe baptism has no place in the Christian life at all, period. They don't encourage it. They, they want nothing to do with it. And so they basically just kind of set that aside. Their pendulum swings way over here where baptism means nothing. Then you've got the Church of Christ, for example, who swings their pendulum way over here that says if you have not been baptized in their church, you have no salvation. The Christ blood and his sacrifice on the cross was not sufficient for you. You have to have some sort of work involved in it. You've got, you've got one side over here, and you've got the pendulum swinging over here, and then you've got the Mormons, the Mormons who believe in proxy baptism. They're going to baptize people. They're going to baptize those people who've already passed away, who've already died. This baptism from the dead stuff, which is kind of crazy. You have the Catholic Church who introduced infant baptism. And if you really study that, you'll see it's kind of a control mechanism that they had. Where, no, we're actually going to baptize infants. And so the, the Reformers, of course, the Reformed view kind of fought against much that the Catholic Church taught regarding salvation, but they didn't regarding baptism. If you remember when we went through the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation, I painstakingly showed you that each of those letters represented church age. Do you remember? And some of those church ages, the Lord only had good things to say about, like the Philadelphia church age, the age of the great missionary movements, the last you know, 200 years ago. And some of those ages, the Lord had nothing good to say about the Laodicean age in which we live right now. We think we're rich and wealthy and we nothing. And the Lord looks at us and realizes we're poor, blind, wretched, and naked. The other church age that the Lord had nothing good to say about was the church age that dealt with the Reformation. I found that offensive. Because it was the Reformation, it actually brought to us the, the whole, our rediscovered salvation by faith through grace alone, plus nothing and minus nothing. But the reality is that if you, if you look at that letter Jesus wrote to that church, he says that I have found your works not complete in Christ. What I hold against you is you went so far but did not go far enough. We know they didn't go far enough when it comes to the end times, and we also know they didn't go far enough when it comes to even... Baptism. Say, for example, the Lutheran Church, which finds its impetus, its genesis in Martin Luther himself. They believe in infant baptism. And they actually, they actually believe when you, when you hear what the priest says or what he's supposed to say in his catechism and the prayer that's prayed, they're actually entering in an infant into the kingdom of God by some sort of, they call it a bath. Here, for example, is the prayer that a priest will pray in a Lutheran church getting ready to baptize an infant. He says, Almighty, I invoke thee concerning this child. Kind of like, um, you know, kind of like uh, um, Lincoln back there. It's a four-year-old, four-month-old baby. Thy servant and ask for the gift of thy baptism and desire thy grace through the spiritual new birth. Really? Receive him, O Lord, and thus extend now the good to him who knocks, 
that he may obtain the eternal blessings of this heavenly bath and receive the promised kingdom of thy gift through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The priest, basically, or the preacher, is praying that some sort of bath is going to save a baby. And then there's questions that are asked. You ask these questions, and the parents ask in prox- or answer in proxy for their child. Do you renounce the devil and all his works in nature? And the parents reply, yes, on behalf of the child, who has no clue what's going on. Do you believe in God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, his Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the one Christian church? And the parents, of course, say yes on behalf of the child. Then the child is baptized. And here's the closing prayer. Watch this. The Almighty God has begotten thee anew through water, and the Holy Spirit has forgiven you all your sins. Amen. And this comes out of the Reformation. This comes from, and a lot of Reformed churches do that, and because they haven't carried it all the way to completion. Nowhere in the New Testament. Nowhere does it talk about salvation apart from personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which comes to someone who understands the meaning and the message of the gospel. Good night. If, if all you had to do was get, to get an adult saved, just baptize them in a, as a baby, would that not be the easiest thing in the world to do? And if all you had to do as a believer is just be baptized, I could get all of you baptized because that's far easier entering the kingdom of heaven than it is to have you live for Christ, to surrender your life to Christ. True? Why are people not baptized today? One is ignorance. Two is pride. This was me. This was me. It's a humbling experience to publicly confess you've gone such a long time in disobedience to the Lord regarding that. If you remember last year, um, Justice baptized me. I've been saved for 30-something years. I've been a pastor for almost all of that time. But the baptism that I had when I first got saved was not really a proper New Testament baptism. And because years had piled upon years, it was kind of embarrassing to admit that. Pride was one of the reasons I struggled with it. Was it last year we did this? And do you remember I confessed it? I needed to, I mean, to do this. I need to set this thing straight. It's back when we were talking about the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we, when we had baptism, I had Justice baptized me. Some people don't get baptized because, you know, I got saved when I was 26, and now I'm 51, and, you know, it's just kind of embarrassing me, me to con- confess and me to admit that I have been disobedient to the first command of Christ all these years. Some of you may fall in the same category that I did. Three is indifference. I don't really care. Has Jesus come into my life? And he did. And so, so it's okay. I understand baptism. I believe baptism. I just don't want to get baptized. It's not a priority to me. Because if I do, then, you know, people are going to look at me funny. I'm going to look, I'm going to, have to put a t-shirt on and my bathing suit. I just don't like getting in the water. And all these ridiculous excuses for getting baptized because it just, it just doesn't matter. Yet it's a command of Christ. Number four, as I understand what it means, then I ain't going to do it. 
And I'll tell you why. Because I have allegedly come to Christ, but there's certain sins in my life that I refuse to give up. And when you understand what baptism is all about, it's an identification with Christ. And it's, a, it's a reality of my new life in Christ. And because I'm still going to commit these old sins, I'm still courting the old life, that if I get baptized, I'm making a public profession, an affirmation that from this moment forward, I have decided to follow Jesus. And you can look at me and hold me accountable for my new life. Life in Christ. And since I refuse to give up those sins, I don't want to go through that ritual. I don't want people to know. I just want to be kind of a closet Christian. I want to sit in the back and, and hopefully people will just leave me alone. It's called rebellion. And the fifth reason is the fact that you're simply lost. I think I'm a Christian, but I don't feel like I'm a Christian. And do you have a desire to be baptized? No, I don't have any desire to be baptized at all. Well, the Holy Spirit is obviously not drawing you to that, and it's not not convicting you or moving you into obedience. And so therefore, one of the reasons people don't get saved is the fact they're lost. I mean, if you're in here and you haven't been baptized and you're a Christian, one of these first four reasons is yours. It was mine. I mean, I am the chief of sinners when it came to this, and I confessed it to you last year. And I didn't do it for you because you didn't even know. I did it to stand in obedience to him because I didn't want anything standing between me and a deeper relationship with the Lord. We're going to ask a couple questions as we go through this. What is baptism? Where does it come from? I mean, what's the, it seems like a strange thing to do. What does it mean, which is most important? And finally, what's, what's going to take place today? As soon as we finish here and have our announcements, I'm going to have somebody come up and pray. I'm going to have Daniel come up and pray, so prepare, Okay. And uh, Daniel came up and pray. And when he does, those people who want to be baptized, we're going to uh, we're going to go up to the house and change clothes and give give us you know give you a few minutes to get everything together, and you can kind of come up by the by the pool up there and kind of celebrate it. But I want to explain to everybody exactly what's going to happen today. First question: What is baptism? There's two words in the New Testament that are translated baptized or baptism. The first one is baptizo, and it simply means to submerge, to immerse, to dip, as in to die. The, the, the imagery in the Greek is to take a garment. Let's say I've got a white garment, I've got blue dye, and I'm going to dip it, totally submerge it into dye, and bring it back up a different color. The second word, which is most used, the first word is only used a handful of times. The second word that is used almost exclusively, uh, baptisma, basically means, it's a stronger word, it means to submerge totally, to immerse completely, literally to drown. can't think of being submerged any more than that, can you? That's why it's really good to raise somebody back up after your baptism. <laughs> to drown or to dunk into water. These are the words that are translated baptized. In the, in the book of Acts, every time it's used as a noun, it always refers to a Christian being immersed in water. Not sprinkled, not splashed in a wading pool, not anything like that, but to actually be immersed in water. Now, here's the problem, especially with our, with our New Testament translations. Because Baptism became such a technical term for the word immersed or submerged that what many of our translators did is transliterated the word rather than translated the word. 
To transliterate the word is to take the Greek phrase and change it a little bit so it still sounds like the Greek phrase, but it means something different. Baptisma, baptizo, oh, that means baptize or baptism for us. That's a transliteration. And we in our mind think that it always has to do with a church setting. It always has to do with somebody being immersed in water as some sort of ordinance as the church. But that's not what the word means. What the word means is to immerse. The word means to submerge. And what the New Testament uh, translators have done is almost every time you see the word immersed, it's substituted with a transliterated word, baptism, or baptized, rather than submerged or immersed. Make sense? Most of the time, or a lot of the time, it actually means a Christian baptism like in the book of Acts, but sometimes you're going to find out it means something different. And it is never used in the passive sense in the Greek. In other words, uh, water is never said to baptize, be baptized on someone. It's always the reverse. Is someone is always being baptized into water, submerged into water, uh, overwhelmed with water, immersed with water, dipped in water. For example, Matthew 3, 5, and 6. It says, And all Jerusalem and Judea and all the regions around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him. This is, of course, John the Baptist in the Jordan confessing their sins. It was a baptism of repentance. It wasn't like they had to be in a river because they had to immerse somebody. If they didn't immerse somebody, they wouldn't have needed so much water. I mean, if it was just a splashing or sprinkling or christening or dipping my finger in the water and sticking a dot before your forehead like some churches do, then we wouldn't need the river. I mean, he could have done that with a, with a bowl, but he didn't. Matthew continuing. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Jesus has now been, obviously, if you're coming up from the water, it means that I was obviously down in the water. So he came, he was down in the water, came up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. The Mark one passage says, And all the land of Judea and all those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him where? In the Jordan River, because we have to have a, you have to have a river now, a body of water confessing their sins. It says, And John was also baptizing in these two towns. Why? Because there was much water there. Why do you need much water if we can baptize in a way other than immersion? has to be immersed. You know, that's what the word actually means. And they came and were baptized. My favorite passage, the Acts 8 passage. Philip meets this Ethiopian eunuch. He walks up beside of him. They start talking about Isaiah during the conversation. Obviously, the, the Ethiopian eunuch comes to faith. And so he says he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the, and the eunuch went, what? Down into the water and baptized him. And when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. And when Karen was proofing this, she stopped and turned at me and goes, do you realize how cool that must have been? Is there anything preventing me from being baptized? Look, here's water. Sure, we go into the water, we baptize you. As soon as you come up, the Ethiopian eunuch, and then Philip's gone. Now, as crazy as it was for the Ethiopian eunuch, can you imagine Philip? You know, boom, boom. Hey, next thing you know, he's walking on some road 40 miles away. As a Christian, baptism is your first act of obedience. The first act of obedience. If, um, and I found 
that uh, if you, if somebody comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you say, great, let's get baptized today or tomorrow, or come on Sunday or whenever it is. Usually if a person is unwilling to do this, not all the case times, but usually it's a good indication that salvation truly didn't take place. They're not willing to obey and follow the Lord in believers' baptism. Look, look at the Great Commission. And Jesus came, spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Because I have all authority and I'm delegating that authority to you by the power of the Holy Spirit who will soon reside in you. Then now go therefore and what? Make disciples, not converts. You don't make converts. God makes converts. And if you understand election, he makes them from the foundation of the world. Your job is to take the converts that he's used you to make and turn them into disciples. Faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're to go make disciples of all nations. How? Well, commanding them to do the very first thing. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. The first thing I've commanded you to do is get them baptized as a public affirmation of their union and solidarity and commitment to me. And then I want you to teach them to follow the other things. And lo, I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the age. See, then it's in Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches this incredible sermon. He lays the charge of Jesus' death on a Jew's feet. They cry out and say, men and brethren, what shall we do? And he says, repent. That's where salvation comes from, from repentance. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, 3,000 people repented, 3,000 people were baptized. Why? Because it was genuine, it was real, and it cost them something. These were Jews, and they were making an open affirmation of their allegiance to the Messiah that the Jewish authorities and the Romans had just killed not long ago. There was there, Many of them were going to, when they made this affirmation, it's, no, you're not in the closet anymore. Many of them lost their jobs, their families turned against them. Many people suffered greatly, but they didn't care because I had decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Remember the song? No turning back. So where does it even come from? Why? Why do we even, why do we even have baptism? Why, why did God initiate that? You know, water baptism, immersion, is a command of every believer and is very important, not for its own sake, because it demonstrates your obedient heart, but also because of the picture that it presents. The Bible is full of pictures and examples and parables and types and anti-types. It's a, it's a teaching aid, just like almost everything the Jews went through is a teaching aid, an object lesson. It's a spiritual or it's a physical analogy of something that is profound to happen in your life. For example, I mean, why did God want his children circumcised? That, for a man, that doesn't attract me to Judaism. Does it you? How about if I tithe 20%? How about if I give you my car? How, no, no, no. We, we want you to be circumcised. We want the foreskin. Why? Because that's what God said. That's what God said. And, and if you were a, a young child that was born into you know, a Jewish family and you were racially a Jew, this, this happened when you were very young and you're not even aware of it. If you're a proselyte or a Gentile or somebody who comes into Judaism as an adult, circumcision took place. Why? I can imagine, I can imagine a family has a girl 
The girl's grown to five or six or seven years old, and all of a sudden they have a boy. And so the family gets together, and they're getting ready to circumcise their young boy. And the girl, the sister, goes, why are you doing this, Daddy? Well, because the Lord wants you to know that we're sinners, and that sin begets sin. And the fact is that left unto ourselves, we would continue to to procreate in the male, you know, as that is an example, in the male organ of procreation, sin. And so God has to humble that. God has to, has to, to cut that. God has to separate even the, the imagery of us begatting sin and sin and sin and a nation full of sin. And so that's why we do that, to show that, that uh, even though man begats sin and continually does that, that, that we are different. Okay, Daddy, I, I understand that. And now we're going to go to the temple. And we go to the temple and I take this lamb or I take this, this animal and I see and these priests are just slaughtering these, these sheep and these goats and, and all these birds. And it's just a horrific scene. And I'm, I'm a young boy. I'm seven years old. Dad, why all the blood? Why all the sacrifices? What do these lambs ever do that they have to die like this? Oh, don't you see that forgiveness of sin comes with the shedding of innocent blood and and now I'm sharing a story that, that these innocent lambs are just a picture of the Messiah that will one day come. It's because of our sin being covered by the blood. He sees the blood and he atones for our sin. And someday when the Messiah comes, his blood will do exactly the same. It's a picture of, of a greater truth. The Passover. I think the cruelest part of the Passover is they have to take one of these little lambs and they have to keep it in their family as a pet for a week, almost a week. And then they take something that they've all fallen in love with and slaughter it. Because that's exactly what God does. That's what your sin does. That God's going to take his most precious thing, his very son, and he's going to slaughter him on the cross and pour his wrath out and rage on him on the cross for your sins. Everything is a word picture. And so is baptism. When you begin to understand that. But today we have two ordinances. We don't do circumcision from a religious standpoint. We don't, we don't have sacrifices at the temple because Jesus laid his life down once and for all. We no Passover anymore, although we do celebrate you know, a Seder service to kind of go back to some Jewish roots. But the fact is, it's the Lord's Supper and it's baptism. The Lord's Supper always commemorates Christ's death. And so does baptism. Listen carefully. So does baptism. It's a picture of his death your identification with his death and your death. When a, um, when a Jew was born into a Jewish family, he was circumcised on the eighth day and he became heir of the covenant and all the promises belonged to him. But when a Gentile wanted to become a Jew or follow Judaism, he was known as a proselyte. And he was accepted into Judaism as heir of the covenant under three conditions or three phases or stages. The first thing a Jew would have to do, regardless of their age, is go through circumcision. If you were five, I'm 62 years old. If I was a Gentile and I decided back during the Old Testament time that I wanted to follow Judaism, I believed in a Messiah who was to come, that they, in order for them to accept me, the first thing that would happen is I would have to be circumcised, even at my age, because it's part of the covenant. It's what God did to set his people apart as a sign and a picture that he's the one that sets us apart so we'll not continue begatting and procreating sin. The next thing is that I have to be immersed in water, which the New Testament would call baptism. 
And it was an offensive thing to the Jews to be baptized because only Gentiles were baptized. Only those people outside of the covenant of God are baptized. And then all of a sudden in Acts chapter 2, Peter says, repent and be baptized. Repent and recognize your sinfulness. Repent and recognize that you are not better than anybody. That just because you say, I have Abraham as my father means nothing. And then after that, you would have to go and you would have to have an animal sacrifice because you, even a proselyte, needs to show that blood has to be, be shed in order for you to understand what Christ is going to do for your sins when they're atoned for. So for a Jew to be baptized, it was, it was highly offensive. It means they had to recognize their unfaithfulness, they had to recognize their sinfulness, and they had to recognize that just being part of the covenant of God's people was not enough. There's an individual accountability where we will stand before the cross of Christ alone. And that's why all of a sudden John the Baptist shows up and he starts baptizing Jews. Most of these people who came to him were Jews. Matthew chapter 3, you've, you've turned to it. Follow along with me, first couple of verses. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, same message that Jesus actually preached when he began his ministry, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You cannot enter into the kingdom the way you are now. There has to be a, a repenting, a recognizing of who you are and who Christ is. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight from Isaiah 40. Now John himself was clothed in camel hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locust and wild honey, kind of identifying with Isaiah. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Wow. Wow. I have to come and I have to recognize that I'm not holy and I'm not sanctimonious and I'm not real special because I can trace my lineage back to Abraham. The fact of the matter is that I'm a sinner and I need some, I, I need to be entered into God's covenant. And, and so he's baptizing them, which was highly offensive to the Jews and kind of set them apart as an element of scorn to the other Jews who refused to get baptized, but they were doing it confessing their sins. I recognize my need for something greater than what I'm receiving just being a racial Jew. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, who refused to be baptism, baptized, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? If you're truly part of the covenant of God, therefore bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is a sermon of judgment. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. Or literally, it means I immerse you, I submerge you, I dip you completely with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I will not, I'm not worthy to carry. He will immerse you, dip you, submerge you, baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, John, same word here in the English, John is baptizing in water. 
Jesus did not come and baptize people into a fire pit. Or I mean, it was, it was to think that every time you see a transliterated word in the scripture, baptized, that always means Christian baptism is not true. The word means that John dipped or immersed or submerged them into water unto repentance. And Jesus will later come and dip and submerge and immerse you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We see that in Acts chapter 2. He comes to, to live within us. His winnowing fan is in his hands, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn, and he will burn out the chaff with unquenchable fire. And then Jesus shows up, and everything changes. Oh, my gosh. I'm baptizing lost people. I'm baptizing people who need a baptism of repentance. John confesses himself, I need a baptism of repentance. And in Jesus, the sinless Son of God, who, who, who John knew was the Messiah because God had already revealed it to him, Jesus shows up and says, I want you to do the same thing to me. Watch what happens here. Then Jesus came from Galilee to, to the Jordan, to John, to the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John, recognizing who Christ is and recognizing his own sin, tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and, and you're coming to me? How can that be? But Jesus answered and said unto him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting to us to what? To fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. Jesus said it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill the righteousness of God, to make reconciliation, to fill up what is holy, to fulfill what is holy, to complete the task that I've come to do. I mean, when, when did Jesus accomplish that? At the cross. He fulfilled all righteousness at the cross. And so John... John the Baptist is baptizing him unto repentance. Jesus comes and wants to be baptized as a picture of what's going to happen at the cross. The Last Supper pictures the death of Christ. Baptism pictures the death and burial and resurrection of Christ when all righteousness is fulfilled in him. Watch this. Baptism and the cross are linked. They're linked as pictures. They're, the cross was the instrument of Christ's death, and therefore Jesus often used baptism as a euphemism of him going to the cross. Doesn't mean when Jesus is talking about it, doesn't mean water baptism. He's using it as being immersed and actually being fulfilled at the cross. Luke He's uh, distressing over going to Jerusalem. And here's what he says. I came to send fire on the earth, and now I wish it was already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how I am distressed, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. This is not a water baptism in the Jordan River. This is his baptism of death. This is his, his, his immersing himself and identifying himself and being submerged in his Father's will. This is the fulfillment of all righteousness. Jesus is using the word, I have, a, I have to be immersed, I have to be dipped, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and I, I'm distressed until it actually happens. Two disciples come up to Jesus and say, hey, uh, I want to ask you a question. Will you do whatever we ask for you? Okay. My kids ask me that. I know it's something I'm going to say no to. 
Uh, yeah, okay, what, what, do you, what do you want? Hey, when you get to your kingdom, will you let me sit on one side and somebody else, my brother, sit on the other? And they said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, do you not know what you ask? Are you able to drink from the cup that I drink and be baptized with the, bat- with, with the baptism I am baptized with? This is not his water baptism. This is not what happened at the Jordan River. This is a euphemism about what's going to happen. It's a picture about what's going to happen to Christ when he's totally united with the Lord and fulfills all righteousness by having God pour his wrath out on him for us. When you as believers are baptized by immersion, listen very carefully. You are demonstrating not just the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, but you are demonstrating your union with Christ in that death and burial and resurrection. If you are not willing to die to Christ, just like with the Lord's Supper, then don't go through this. I mean, it's a travesty. It's hypocrisy. I'm recognizing I am in solidarity with him. I recognize that I am in union with Christ. Just like it says in Galatians chapter 2. I have been, what? Crucified with Christ. Well, no, not really. I mean, he was crucified, but spiritually, emotionally, in my thought life, in my action life, and, you know, my, my inner man, yes, I've been crucified with Christ. Well, what does that mean if you've been crucified with Christ? It means I don't call my own shots anymore. It means I no longer, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. All right, well, what does that mean in the present tense? What does that mean in real life, every day, how we put on our shoes and go to work? What does that mean? It means the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, not faith in what I want to do, who loved me and gave himself for me. I am identified with Christ in his death. I've been crucified with Christ in his death. He died, I died. He lives, I live. I live in him. Same thing, kind of the kind of picture we have when it comes to baptism. Let me just show you a couple other passages that are very confusing to people because they, in their mind, all they think is Christian water baptism. But the word doesn't mean that. It means to be submerged. And let me show you how, how this transliteration versus the translation of the word often confuses people. This is 1 Corinthians 10. This is talking about Moses and the Jews identifying with Moses. He says, More of a brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers, as we left Egypt, were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. We were all together. We had the cloud that protected us. The, 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 uh, the sea parted. Moses led us through. He led us out of Egypt. He, we were protected by the cloud and then the pillar of fire. He led us through the sea. We were all under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized. What? Well, like a Christian baptism? We, it, what, what, that can't be. We're talking about all the Jewish fathers. It can't mean Christian baptism in a church. No, it means we were all submerged. We were immersed, we were in union with, we were in solidarity with Christ because they were all baptized, submerged in, in solidarity in Moses. 
into Moses. We followed Moses. We, we did what Moses wanted. He heard from God and we followed Moses. We were in solidarity, both in the cloud and in the sea, because that's where Moses led us. And then to make sure we understand this is spiritual and not a physical baptism, we ate all of the same what? Spiritual food. Not real food, spiritual food. And we drank all of the same what? Spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. You know, the translators just, you know, baptism became a technical term for being submerged and immersed, and then we get confused thinking this is Christian baptism. It's not at all. It's a picture and an imagery of, of being identified with, being submerged with, being in union with. Galatians 3. For you are all sons of God. How? By being baptized? No, through faith in Jesus Christ. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's not being baptized, Church of Christ people. For as many as were baptized, submerged, immersed, which is what being saved is in union with and in solidarity into Christ, have put on Christ. I have now put on Christ. I now have the, man, the, the mind of Christ. When God sees me, he doesn't see my sins. He sees Christ's righteousness. My sins imputed to him, his righteousness imputed to me. But my salvation came through faith in Jesus Christ. And so as many of you that are submerged into Christ, immersed into Christ, overwhelmed by Christ, have put on Christ. And therefore, once you put on Christ, there's no more distinction between anybody because we're all in him. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heir according to the promise. Again, this is the book of Galatians. Colossians, another word. In him you were also circumcised. Well, is that a literal circumcision? Well, no, I wasn't circumcised in him. It says, oh, what the circumcision is made without hands. So using imagery here, I was circumcised by him with a circumcision not made with hands. It wasn't physical. Well, well, what is it then? It's my putting off the body of the sin of the flesh. It's my living a sanctified life. It's, It's my following Christ in allegiance by the circumcision of Christ. Got that. Buried with him in baptism. Well, no, it's not not a literal baptism. It's not a physical baptism. It wasn't a physical circumcision. I am buried with him. I'm submerged with him. I am immersed with him because I am in him. I'm not submerged apart from him or next to him, or he's not baptized into Jordan, and I'm baptized into Jordan. But I am buried with him in, in Baptism, in which you were also raised, how? With him, through faith and the working of God, who raised him from the dead. It's a, it's a, it means an immersion, an identification with. It means, it means when you see Christ, you see me. Because I'm immersed and submerged in him, which is what the Christian life is all about. Romans, I've only got two more of these. Romans 6. Or do you not know that if many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death? Well, how are you baptized into Christ Jesus? It's, it's, not like, it's not like a physical thing, because it means many of you that were submerged, immersed, overwhelmed, in union with, identify with Christ, then I also identify and am immersed in, into his death. That as he died, I died. As he lives, I live, because I live in him. 
And the confusion comes when we assume every time we see the word baptism, that it means water baptism. It doesn't. And here's the classic passage that shows you that. This is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. There is also an antitype which now saves us, because Peter's talking about types and antitypes prior to that. Well, what is that that saves us? Baptism. Well, that means physical baptism. No. Peter wants us to know that's exactly what it doesn't mean. Because here's what Peter says, and this parenthesis is not mine, it's Peter's. Not the removal of filth from the flesh. So it's not a physical thing. Well, what is it? But it's the answer of a good conscience towards God. It's living a sanctified, set-apart life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our being submerged, immersed in union and solidarity with Christ is what saves you, not just a physical baptism. So what are we about to do? There's several people in our church that have um, decided that they want to follow the Lord in baptism. I have talked with them, and I have uh, heard their testimony, and they have uh, decided that this is what they want to do. You're to, you're to follow the Lord in baptism as an outward sign that you're saved, to let everybody know what has happened to you inside of your heart. You are going to be buried with Christ, symbolically buried with Christ in the water, raised to a new life with him. And when you come out of the water, it's almost like a testimony that the old Steve is gone, although the old Steve was gone the moment you got saved and the Holy Spirit came to live within me. You know, he, he, he placed my old man with a new man, yet that old man is still encased in my flesh and my, my desires and my wants, and hence the battle. Anybody ever struggle with that besides me? But the fact is, is from this day forward, to publicly be affirming everybody here that I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm going to live for him. That's the key. Not that I'm saved and I'm going to live for me. What kind of salvation is that? Since when did Christ die and put you back on the throne? That I'm going to live for him. So the question I ask all of you in here, have you been baptized? Have you confessed your sins before him? Not anybody else, just him. And now desire to publicly proclaim your obedience to him? This is what it's about. I want to follow him in baptism because he commands that I do that as a testimony to what he's done in me. It's no closet Christian stuff anymore. It's not, are you saved? Well, yeah, but don't tell anybody. It's not how the Christian faith is supposed to be lived. Are you saved? Yes! Yes, and I'm going to get baptized, and I'm going to show the whole world this is who I am in Christ. And you can expect a change in me because of what a Christ has done in my life. Or I don't want to get baptized because I know there's some errors in my life that I'm not going to change. How sad is that? Or how sad is that? You're still holding on to sins of your past, and these are the people who are planning on getting baptized. That needs to go away. You need to make a commitment. Those things are of the old life. Those things will not come around anymore. I will get victory over those. Now, you will not live a perfect life, and you will mess up. But your nature should be one of righteousness rather than carnality. 
what happens is most people are just carnal, and when they do something good, whoa, give me praise. But the reality is most of us should be righteous, and if we fall back and do something carnal, it should drive us to our knees for repentance. That's what baptism, one of the imagery here, I'm buried, and I died, and I'm buried, and I'm raised with Christ. Are you ready to be identified in his death and resurrection? And if so, I'm asking you to join me in baptism. If not, pray about it. You get your heart and make sure this is something that you want to do. And then we'll do this next week. We'll do this two weeks from now. We'll do this when you're ready. But it's something not to be taken lightly, but it is something to follow in obedience to him. Major question is, are you ready to die, for you, die to yourself? And that's a hard thing. Anybody else died to yourself, kicked God off the throne, and then 10 minutes later put yourself back off the throne and kicked him? I mean, kicked him back to the Do it all the time. But that should, that should drive me to more repentance, not to just living in a carnal state for as long as I want, because, hey, it really doesn't matter. If you're not careful, baptism can actually become your inoculation to true salvation. Because what happens is, Many churches, you know, they just want to get people baptized, and so they'll get you baptized, and then they'll convince you that you're saved, and you may not be. And then when all of a sudden God starts moving in your heart, and somebody says, if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, I hear this all the time. I always ask that question. Where, how are you with Jesus right now? And usually when I hear this, oh, I've been baptized before, then I know exactly where you are with Jesus right now. You ain't nowhere. You know, because you're holding on to some ritual that took place in some other church where they condensed you, you're something that you're not. You're supposed to follow the Lord and believer's baptism as the first sign of obedience to Him. But it needs to be real. There's a commitment to it. I'm identifying with the death and burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He, does, he, he tells me not to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Because in doing so, I... I drink judgment upon myself to the body and blood of Christ. It kind of works the same way in baptism. So I'm going to close in prayer, and then I'm going to share a couple of announcements with you. And then uh, those of you that would like to come with me, we're going to head up to my house, and we're going to get baptized. If some of you in here have come to the realization that you have not been biblically baptized and you want to, uh, if you brought a change of clothes, we'll do it today. If you haven't, uh, let me know. We'll do it next week. We'll do it the next Sunday. We'll do it as often as we need to do it. And I was really convicted. What we do here is we, uh, we only do it during the summer. We make people wait because it's an outside pool and it gets cold. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'll put a rubber suit on if I need to. But, you know, the, the imagery in the New Testament, and, and this is my fault, this is my sin, the imagery in the New Testament is if it's the first act of obedience, then it needs to be our first act of obedience. And if someone comes to faith in January 15th, we're going to baptize them the following Sunday. Sound good? I'm going to get, get Vic to help me. So we're going to, we're going to baptize them then. And uh, probably be an experience you've never quite had before. But Any questions about any of this? Realize I've never taught on this before. We've never, never really looked at where it comes from and what it means. But I hope it, uh, I, mean, I hope especially for those getting baptized, I hope it makes you appreciate this and realize how special it truly is. Let me pray.